Thank you for listening to this message from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. We're in the middle of a series, part five today, on what is our purpose? What on earth are we here for? We've seen we were created to worship. We were created to have fellowship. We were created for discipleship. And today we're going to talk about being created for ministry. Ephesians 2.10 says, And long ages ago, he, God, planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. You know, that is God's plan for you and for me, that we would spend our lives helping others. The Amplified Translation says it like this, that you're God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we might do those good works which he predestined or planned beforehand for us, taking paths that he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them, living the good life he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Now think about it. God has planned beforehand good works for you to do. He's prepared paths for you to take. In fact, notice that he says that when you do that, you will live the good life. Now, people are looking for the good life. They're looking for happiness. In fact, even in our Declaration of Independence, it talks about the pursuit of happiness. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, talked about the pursuit of happiness. And he says it's like grasping for the wind. Right? What you think is going to make you happy will not make you happy. Now, how many of you know when you, you, you can feel the wind go by, but you cannot grab a handful of it and keep it? Right? And he says, if you're looking for happiness by pursuing it, he said, you'll miss it. Because happiness is a byproduct of loving God, loving people, serving God, and serving people. It's a byproduct. Right? But if you pursue it, you are guaranteed to miss it. Right? Some of the people that you and I might look at, they're famous, they're, they're wealthy, they have position, and you think that they're happy, and how many of you know their lives are a mess? You know, they, they have everything that we think that we want, and we think will make us happy, but your life does not consist in the abundance of the things you possess, Jesus said. Right? The good life comes from loving God, loving people, serving God, serving people. You know, the world tells us you need to get, you need to be served, you need to accumulate, you need to try to make yourself happy. But it is always a dead-end road. Ephesians 2 and 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Because of the subject today, I wanted to reiterate this fact that you are saved by grace, not by works. You cannot give enough, pray enough, fast enough. You cannot do anything enough. You cannot save yourself. It is impossible. It's not of works. It's by grace. It's by what Jesus did for you. It's by faith in what he did. It's not by works. It's by grace. But you will be rewarded in heaven if you're a Christian based on the works that you did. You're not saved by works, but you will be rewarded for your works. Revelation 22, Jesus said, and behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. 
One modern paraphrases it this way. And my paycheck is with me to give to everyone according to his. According to his works, you're not saved by works. You're saved by grace. But listen, God saved you from you. See, most of us as, as Christians in Western culture, this is what we think. You know, I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I'm forgiven. I'm saved from my sin. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. And you're right. God saved you from your sin. But listen, he saved you to good works. He saves you to put you in the kingdom of God. Remember what we pray every day? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, and when you get saved, God puts you in the kingdom of God and you're to be a representative of that kingdom. And what are we supposed to do? Jesus said, let men see your good works that they will glorify your father who is in heaven. Right. So we are saved from our sin, but we're saved into the kingdom of God. And the Bible says we're saved for good works to do good works. Good works don't save you. You can do all the good works in the world and they won't save you. You're saved by grace. But yet as a part of the kingdom of God, you will be rewarded for what you do, for the good works that you do. Again, Second Corinthians five and verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's where believers are rewarded. That each one may receive for the things he's done in the body, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Now, God spoke to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 1. And what he said to Jeremiah is true about Jeremiah, but it's true about you and it's true about me. He said, before I made you in your mother's womb, he said, I chose you. And before you were born, I set you apart for a special work. Now in Jeremiah's case, God set him apart to be a prophet. But in every one of our cases, Ephesians 2.10 tells us that God has prepared good works for us to do, that he's prepared paths ahead of time for us to take. What God said about Jeremiah is true about you. He has prepared you for a special work. He set you apart for it. And when you understand and believe that, it makes your life exciting. It gives every day and every endeavor purpose, right? And it's the highest sort of purpose. It has eternal ramifications, right? And make every day an appointment to walk with God. Just like Enoch, the Bible says that he walked with God. You and I are to walk with God. We're to be his representatives here on earth. Second Timothy 1.9. It is he who saved us, who chose us for his holy work. God chose you for his holy work. If, if all God wanted to do was get you to heaven, God would have said this. This is what Jesus would have said. He rose from the dead. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and baptize them baptize them, all nations, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and leave them under seven minutes. Because we get you right to heaven. If God just wanted to save you and get you to heaven, he'd just have us leave you under. That way you couldn't mess up. <laughs> but God has a purpose for you and me now. What is that? For? He saved us and chose us for his holy work. He chose you not to just sit in a pew. 
And, and honestly, that's what most Christians think in Western culture. Now, the Bible tells it to us like this in Ephesians chapter four. It says that he, Jesus, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, all right, for the perfecting of the saints or for the training of the saints to do the work of the ministry, all right? Now, here's what typically Christians think. They think, well, you know, God's got pastors and they're supposed to do everything. And we just come to church and sit there. I call people that think like that POWs or POPs, prisoners of pews, right? All, you know, we, we just think, well, there's somebody else who's going to do everything. But the Bible says that my job is to prepare you to do the work of the ministry. I'm not supposed to do it. I'm supposed to prepare you to do it. And again, in, in the Lord's Prayer, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. Do you realize God wants you to use you to, as part of the answer to that prayer? You see, we're trying to get to heaven and God's trying to get the kingdom into you. Right? Salvation doesn't begin when you die. Right? It begins immediately. You're put in the kingdom of God immediately when you receive Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is using us to speak to you. Listen, every person here, God wants to use you to speak to other people. Listen to what Paul says. We beg you as though Christ himself were here pleading with you. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if Jesus was here, he would plead with you. What would he plead with you? Receive the love. God offers you and be reconciled to God. But Paul says, we're here in Jesus' place. The truth is, you are the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. Right? You represent the kingdom of God. You are an ambassador for the kingdom. We're talking today about your purpose being ministry. We can say it this way, representing the kingdom of God. We can say it this way, doing good works. Jesus said that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Romans 4 and verse, excuse me, 7 and verse 4. And now you belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that you might be useful in the service of God. In order that you might be useful in the service of God. You know, in China, a large part of the church, when people get saved, this is what they tell them. Jesus now has a new pair of eyes to see with, new ears to listen with, new hands to help with, a new heart to love others with. And it's true. God saved you so you would be useful in his service. Unfortunately, in most of the church in Western culture, we think that God is our butler, right? That really God is just there to serve us. That Christianity, salvation is about you, God, and a half a dozen butler angels to get all the stuff that you want, right? But the Bible says he saved us that we might be useful in ser the service of God, right? And again, you are the only Jesus that some people are going to see. Now, it tells us in Acts chapter 11, it says, And they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. 
And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You know, Jesus did not say go make Christians. He said go make disciples. And Jesus said that when a disciple is fully trained, he'll be just like his teacher. Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to be just like him. But they were the believers by unbelievers were called Christians. Now, the word Christian means little Christ or little Jesus. That's what you and I are supposed to be. Little Jesuses. So that when people see you, they see Jesus. Right. And one of the places that we're to do those good works to serve God is in the church. You know, when Billy, Billy Graham was born in 1920, 1936, he was 16 years old. And uh, to quote him, he said that he was uh, sowing his oats, right? He was with some of his friends and it just so happened that in Charlotte, North Carolina, Mordecai Ham had set up a tent and was doing a tent meeting and Billy Graham and his friends heard about it. And they, this is what Billy Graham said. Hey, let's go into this tent and hear what this wacko has to say. So they were clowning around and they went into the tent. But when they got there, they found it was full and there wasn't any room. And so Billy said to his buddies, let's get out of here. All right. Let's go. And an usher saw him. As they turned to leave and he went up to him and put his arm around Billy Graham and his buddy. And he said, hey, I'm glad you're here. He said, let me help you find a seat. He went over, got some people to move, squished them in, put Billy Graham and his friend on the aisle. And that night, Billy Graham got saved and the rest is history. Nobody, not even Billy Graham, knows the name of the usher. Nobody. But because of what an usher did, Billy Graham got saved. And everything that happened as a result of Billy Graham getting saved, all really, it happened and goes to the credit of an usher that nobody on earth knows their name. But how many of you know Jesus knows their name? All right. And he's going to be rewarded according to what he has done. Billy Graham was the best known evangelist of the 20th century. The greatest evangelist of the 19th century was Dwight L. Moody. And Moody was not brought up in church, but he began to go to a Sunday school class. He was about 20 years old at the time. And the Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball, just had just a, a heart for, for Moody. As he was praying, he felt like, I just need to go and see Moody. He found out where he worked and went to where he was working. He was a shoe salesman. And he, he walked in and he put his hand on his shoulder. And he, he began to talk to him about his need for Christ and about his soul. And this, this is what Dwight L. Moody said. He said, he's talking to me about my soul and my sin. He is weeping over my soul and over my sins. He said, and I had never shed a single tear over my soul or over my sin. And he was so taken that uh, he prayed and received the Lord right there. What Edward Kimball said, I thought was, was the most interesting part. He said, I was talking to him and I felt like everything that I said made absolutely no impact at all. And Dwight L. Moody said, nothing ever impacted me more in my entire life. 
Again, Sunday school teacher gets the greatest evangelist of the 19th century saved. T.L. Osborne, it is said, preached to more people face to face than anyone that ever lived. For over 50 years, he would go to third world countries, stay months at a time, and often preach to a million people or more every night for over 50 years. And I heard him say this. He said, the only call of God that I have ever received was when I read Mark 16 and the Bible said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. I read that, so I went. He said, I never had a vision. I never heard a voice. I never had a strange tingling or a warm thing come over my body. He said, I just read the Bible, believed it and went. The other thing that he said that really impacted me was this. He said, wherever I went, he said, when I arrived, the kingdom of God arrived. Now, that's just not true about Dwight L. Moody. That's true about you. The Bible says that you are Christ's ambassador. When you show up, the kingdom of God is supposed to show up. Jesus said this. Your attitude must be like my own. For I, the Messiah, did not come to be served, but to serve. You know, most people, when they come to church, no matter where they go, they're looking to be served. Right? But Jesus said the attitude that we're supposed to have is to serve. And you may think what you do is insignificant, that it's small. But I just want to tell you that small things make a big difference. Big doors swing on small hinges. 15, maybe even 18 years ago, I was invited by Rick Renner to go to Moscow and to preach at the church that he had just started in Moscow, Russia. Uh, got there and he put me in a hotel that was right opposite the Kremlin. In fact, that's, that was the view from our hotel lobby right there. It was a street right street and then our hotel and that was the view that's the basilica right behind that is red square the kremlin's off to the left for me it's the left probably for you it's the right it's that way all right and my picture all right and then behind that's lenin's tomb and when when you travel that type of distance and the time zones are so different i, I don't know how it affects you but it affects me big time and when i'm supposed to be awake i've fallen asleep and when i'm supposed to be asleep i'm laying there wide awake all right and so I like it dark, but not so dark that I can't see anything. But I closed the drapes and I tried to arrange things, but it was just dark, dark, dark. And I forgot to bring a nightlight, right? Now, a nightlight, how many know what a nightlight is? You know, it's just that little thing so you can see, right? So I get up in the night and I forget where I am, right? And so I head for where I thought the bathroom was, but it wasn't. It was a coffee table, right? I fell over that coffee table and, and I'm not going to pull my, my pants up, but right now I've got a scar that's about that long, about seven inches long and a half inch wide that I have after who knows how many years I, I, I bled more blood than I'd ever bled in my life, right? Because I didn't have a dumb little stinking nightlight, <laughs> right? Four watts. You say, what would that have done? It would have made all the difference in the world. 
Little things make big differences. And you might think what you do is insignificant, but you know, you might be just like that usher who put his arm around Billy Graham and his buddy and said, hey, have a seat. You might be just like that Sunday school teacher who went and just shared something with Dwight L. Moody that changed his life, but not just his life, the life of so many other people as a result. Now, unfortunately, what a lot of Christians in Western society think is this. Well, we're just going deep. We're going deep, deep. We're getting deep, deep in the things of God. Deep calls to deep. Right. Jesus never said go deep. Jesus said go out. Right. Spiritual maturity is not a goal in itself. Maturity is for ministry. Right. The psalmist said this in Psalms 23. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, and when your cup is overflowing, that's just ministry. It just, it just bubbles out. And if you're not bubbling, you, you need to get in God's presence until it's overflowing. Right. And again, it's not about going deep. It's about going out. And if you think that you are mature and you're not ministering, you are deceiving yourself. You're deceived. Right. Bible believing is not knowing. It's not mental assent. Right? Where you say, yeah, I, I know that that is true. Right? That's not Bible believing. Bible believing is when you know that it's true and then you act on what you know. Right? If you're not acting, it's not Bible believing. It's not Bible faith until you know it and you do it. Mental assent is when you just say, yeah, that's true. So you know about prayer. But do you pray? You know about giving, but do you give generously? You know how important forgiving others is, but do you forgive? You know the Bible says to resist the devil, but when is the last time you resisted him? By the way, the Bible says the last time you resisted him is the last time he fled from you. So you know you're to love and serve others, but when is the last time that you served? Now, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. If we didn't have a thousand people every weekend who pre-decided to come and serve, you know, whether it's out in the parking lot, in the nursery, with sound, with lights, whether it's out in the children's area, if there weren't a thousand people every weekend, you wouldn't want to be here, I wouldn't want to be here because this whole thing would fall apart, Right? It's not about what one or two or three or five people do. It's about what everybody does. Right? And faith without works, it is dead. It's dead. Somebody says, yeah, but I believe. The book of James says, well, the devil also believes and trembles. That's more than some people do that they claim to be Christians. Just having that mental assent to believe that it's true is not a Bible believing that produces salvation or produces results. Right? You have to act on what you know to be true. Unfortunately, too many of us are like the Dead Sea. Now, the Dead Sea has the Jordan River flow into it, but nothing flows out. Regular salt water, ocean water, is just over 3% salt. But the Dead Sea 
is 11 times that salty and is over 33% salt. And you know what lives in it? Nothing. Nothing can live in it. Not a frog, not a polywog, not an amoeba. It kills everything. You say, why? Because it's constantly receiving Jordan River flowing in and nothing is flowing out. In fact, you know, you, you jump in, you, you got to go and jump in once and try to swim. Try to flo float because you, you have to float because you can't do anything but float. All right? But I'm going to warn you, when you get out, you feel like you've been swimming in motor oil. It's just kind of like greasy, you know. Now, it, it, it is, it, it, people come from all over the world to do it because it's so good for your, your skin, for health, arthritis, everything like that. But when you get out, you're like, <laughs> right? And getting around Christians that all they want to do is receive and have nothing flowing out. I don't know about you, but when I leave their presence, I'm kind of like, Ew. you know, it's kind of like swimming in the Dead Sea. Right? So Acts 16, and they answered, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give yourself up to him. Take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself into his keeping. How many of you know that's more than mental assent? That's more than just saying, oh, Jesus died and rose again. Right? Yeah, Jesus died and rose again, but because of it, you take yourself out of your keeping. You put yourself into his keeping. Right? And he said, and you'll be saved. This applies both to you and to your household. Serving in our culture is counterintuitive. People come to church, they serve me, bless me, help me, meet my needs. All right? But a mature believer says, I want to serve, I want to bless, I want to encourage, I want to help. Who can I pray for? All right? At the end of our lives, we will be evaluated by God on how well we served others. Got that? You will be evaluated by God. It won't save you, but you will be evaluated by God by how well you served others. Romans 14. Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God or the judgment seat of Christ. That's where the believers are judged and rewarded. You'll be evaluated how, on how much of your time, your energy, your love, your resources you spent on others and how much just went for yourself. God will say, how did you serve others in my kingdom? And if your answer was, well, I was busy, you know, I had goals, you know, I was preoccupied with work. You know, I had my hobbies and I was preparing for retirement. God's response is going to be something like this. I'm sorry, but that is the wrong answer. I created you, saved you, called you and commanded you to live a life of service. He created you, saved you, called you and commanded you to live a life of service. I want to ask you, just evaluate yourself right now. You know, are you living a life of service or are you living your life to be served? You're to be a representative of the kingdom of God. I think it's interesting that John, the apostle writes and, and he said, you know, that you not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, you can be saved and be ashamed when Jesus comes. You say, why would I be ashamed? Be ashamed at how you lived a selfish life. 
and you did not fulfill God's plan, God's purpose for you. Listen, it talks about this 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is the, the last part where it's talking about 15th verse. It says, and if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. It says, you can be a Christian and go to heaven, but everything you did will burn up because it was all selfish. You never served others. Right? He says, you'll make heaven, but you'll suffer loss. John said, you will be ashamed at his coming. You see, you can get to heaven and have no reward at all when you get there. You see, Jesus talked to us about Christians receiving rewards. He said, right now you lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He talked to a couple of cities, Bethsaida, Capernaum, and he rebuked them. And he said, you know, he said, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Here's what Jesus was saying. Sodom and Gomorrah are going to get less punishment than you're going to get. Because if the mighty works that have been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would remain to this day. Now, we all know that this is, that it's, we say, it, we say it, it's just. How many of you know somebody who basically lives a good life, but lives their life apart from God and doesn't want anything to do to God, with God? You know, they were a good husband, a good father, a good provider, and they die but they die without God. They're going to step into eternity without God. They're not going to receive the same punishment that Hitler receives. Hitler took and put 6 million Jews in gas chambers and another 5.2 million non-Jews who he exterminated in gas chambers in his death camps. How many know there's going to be a different amount of punishment for those two people? Because what they did was different. See, and you got some Christians are going to go to heaven, but they lived their whole life selfishly, serving themselves, forgetting the fact that they were created by God and called by God and commanded by God who prepared good works for them to do and never did them. Will they get to heaven? Yeah, but they're not going to receive the same reward, right? If somebody who shared the gospel, who prayed, who fasted, who served in the local church, they're not going to get the same reward, right? You're going to be rewarded based on your works. You're not going to heaven based on your works. You're going to heaven by grace. But so often we forget the fact that there is the judgment seat of Christ where you're going to be rewarded based on what you have done, right? Jesus said, if you insist on saving your life, you'll lose it. Only those who throw away their lives for my sake and for the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. All, right? All of us are going to give our lives for something. You know, a career, a hobby, fame, wealth. Right? Romans 12 says, The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us find our meaning and function as part of his body. We find our meaning and our function as part of his body. It's not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life that matters. It's not how long you live, but how you live. And you might think what you're doing is insignificant. I'm here to tell you it is not. 
Let me close with a little story from history. As World War II is going on, beginning, the British are standing alone. And the men were just volunteering. They wanted to be involved in the war. And they were coming up short on people that would work, and particularly in the coal mines. So Winston Churchill went down to visit the hardworking coal miners, gaze into their greasy faces. They were shocked that he had even come down. And standing before them, Winston Churchill said, we will be victorious. We will preserve our freedom. And years from now, when our freedom is secure, in years from now, when peace reigns, your children and your children's children will come and they will say to you, what did you do to win in the great war? And one will say, I marched in the eighth army. Someone will proudly say, I manned a submarine. And another will say, I guided the ships that moved the troops and moved the supplies. And still another will say, I doctored the wounds. He paused and he looked into their dirty faces and then he shouted as he continued and they will come to you and you will say with equal right and with an equal right of pride, you'll say, I cut the coal. I cut the coal that fueled the ships. I cut the coal that moved the supplies. That's what I did. I cut the coal. And Churchill explained, he said, if you don't stay here, our ships can't move because they need coal. He says, our factories cannot produce the armaments that we need because they need coal. He says, and what you're doing in mining coal is just as important as the man who's marching in the infantry. He's saying every single person is important. And I want you to know in the kingdom of God, what every part does is important. Don't think what I do is insignificant. You may win a Billy Graham. You may win a Dwight L. Moody. But how many of you know every single soul, Jesus said, is worth more than the whole world? Every soul. What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but he lost his soul? Would you please bow your heads for just a moment? If you're here and your, your life is heading in the wrong direction today, and it may be that like Moody, you, you, for the first time, you sense the weight of sin. Jesus said this. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you're away from God, you don't know where you stand with God, and you say, I want to get right with God today, I want you to listen very carefully. In just a moment, I'm going to count to three. When I say three, I want you to lift your hand. We're going to pray. And when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. Your past is going to be gone. Your sins are going to be gone. God's going to come into your heart and make you a new person on the inside. But this is what you need to know. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Your way will not get you to God. Your good works will not get you to God. My way won't get me to God. My good works will not save me. There's just one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus. He is the only 
way. So as you lift your hand today, the first thing that you're saying is this, I know that I'm a sinner and need a Savior, and I know Jesus is the only Savior. And I'm coming to him today to be forgiven, to be saved. One, when you lift your hand, you're saying, God, I want to be forgiven, not condemned. I want to be saved, not lost. I want to receive Jesus today. I want him to come into my heart and life. I want to live for him. I want to be his disciple. Two, I want you to get ready to lift your hand. As you lift that hand, you're saying, God, today by faith, I'm receiving Jesus. He's going to come into my heart. He's going to blood wash me from my sin. He's going to make me a new person on the inside. I'm going to be right with God on my way to heaven. Three, lift that hand up right now. For more information about Res Life, please visit our website at reslife.org. If you have questions about Res Life or would like directions to visit us, please feel free to call 616-534-4923.